As queen of the carpool, cruise control is the only control you've had for a long time. Instead of kicking back, your back is constantly being kicked. With the endless traffic, walnut-sized bladders, and snack mom politics, nobody is more eager to know the answer to the constant chorus of, Are we there yet? Sounds like it's time for your victory lap in Las Vegas. You can bring your kids to Vegas, but why would you? Plan your escape at visitlasvegas.com. What do you get with a $100 million renaissance? A timeless hideaway in the heart of Death Valley National Park. Now better than ever. Visit Oasis at deathvalley.com. Imagine the perfect day trip down the road, off the highway, not too far from home, and close to perfect. A place where farm fresh goods come from local folks, where you can explore the beautiful side of the majestic Trinity River, where charming locally owned shops are filled with one of a kind finds and tasty food, where you discover miles of parks perfect for nurturing your natural side. Discover these and other experiences in Capel, not too far at all, and close to perfect. Click the banner to learn more. I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Ten Fro is Reading for the Wild Ride. And thank you for listening. My glow up, my glow up, my glow up is coming to fruition. I am well over, well, at the time of this taping, I'm well over 192,000 downloads. This is so much beyond the 4,000 downloads I was at the same time just last year. How amazing. I'm now four years in. I'm seeing exponential growth as well as uh recognition i'm and i pretty much um see that what the content that i'm allowed to create that is is made possible by some of the great contacts that i've made um special shout out to kawala and noel ojo um that you'll be hearing from later on in the episode. Um, but also, not only am I creating amazing content, how I'm able to create the content with the team that I have now. I'm still an indie podcaster, but I have some of the dopest uh, sound engineer through sound 
archives, pr primordial sound archives. Uh, mad shout out to Trinity Brown as well as to uh, Raphael Crump at AK Productions in Dallas. Um, two amazing African-American artists doing their thing, helping me make the content that I like to make as well as I think my listeners like to hear. And thanks again. You guys are the bomb. And also to everyone that makes the episode possible um, to 192K downloads, 2,000 going up to hopefully 3,000 unique listeners per month. You guys are also the bomb. And as always, thank you for listening and the support. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of faith that dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. This has become the opening refrain to the Negro National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And what a great way to start out this extra exceptional episode of how I'm celebrating this year's 2022 Juneteenth. Uh, remarking on freedom and on racism and as I sit and tape this I actually absolutely got a little choked up because as I continued to read about the significance of Juneteenth and and I'm off on Monday don't get me wrong I'm always grateful for time off but what annoys me is when why was this finally a recognized federal holiday? Well, it became one back with the murder of George Floyd. This was a way for a lot of corporations, including my own, to finally recognize something that we knew should have been recognized for years. Um, and what is the significance of Juneteenth? It is... A now it's a federal holiday. It originated when 2,000 troops arrived in Galveston Bay, finally and firmly announced June 19, 1865, that more than 2,500 enslaved black people in the state were, were free by executive decree, but dudes, um, that executive decree came the first day of January in 1863, a full two years prior by Abraham Lincoln. What they think that the original scouts, Union soldiers were killed in Texas and the word never got out. And that's why they, those slaves 
continue to toil for an additional two years, even though that they were free. Um, I'm struck by the audacity of it all. I'm struck by the cover up at, at all. And I'm stuck why there was no reparations. I think a lot of Texas, people from Texas can basically trace their ancestry back with some records, slave roles and the like, families that have been in Texas since the beginning, and they can track it back. Um, and that's where you go need to give up some reparations. I mean, that's two years. All those people lived, died, um, and were free. And y'all, and they still were subject to slavery. The, the Emancipation Proclamation is clear. And as I read it, I got choked up, and then I started getting angry. But listen to this. I realized that I have not even had read anything near it since, oh gosh, since high school. But... It reads as such, by the President of the United States, a proclamation, whereas on the 22nd day of September in the year of our Lord, 1,862, a proclamation was issued by the President of the United States containing, among other things, the following to wit, that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, Lord 1,000. 863 all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of the state the people whereof shall then be re in rebellion against the United States shall be then thenceforward and forever free and the executive government of the United States including the military and naval authority thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom. So we still have the 14th, 15th, and 16th Amendments. They still enacted Jim Crow laws, which were and are a direct violation of federal law. And they just were allowed to do all of those things. We had to go through another 100 years and have the Civil Rights Act, basically reiterating what Abraham Lincoln had said in 1862. What kind of bullshit is that? And what kind of white supremacy bullshit is that? That the executive will on the first day of January, aforesaid by proclamation, designate the states and parts of the states, if any, in which the people thereof respectively shall then be in rebellion against the United States and the fact that any state or people thereof shall on that day be in good faith represented in the Congress of the United States by members chosen thereto as elections wherein a majority of the qualified voters of such state shall have participated, shall in the absence of strong countervailing testimony be deemed conclusive evidence that such state and the people thereof are not then in rebellion against the United States. He goes on to say multiple things and names the state, Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, except the parishes of St. Bernard, 
Plaquemines, Jefferson, St. John, St. Charles, St. James, Ascension, Assumption, Terrebonne, Laforge, St. Mary, St. Martin, and Orleans, including the city of Orleans, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia, except the 48 counties designated as West Virginia, and also the counties of Berkeley, Accomack, Northampton, Elizabeth City, York, Princess Anne, and Norfolk, including the cities of Norfolk and Portsmouth, and which accepted parts are for the present left precisely as if this proclamation were not issued. And by the virtue of power and for the purposes aforesaid, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are and henceforward shall be free. And these states still are in rebellion, not just against people, all people, black people, women, um, LGBTQ plus. It's just amazing that they basically thumb their nose and say, we ain't doing it because we don't want to do it. And we don't recognize it. And they had to have a costly and horrible civil war to, and basically why? Because, and what kills me is we had the ingenuity to continue to, continue to bake bank and didn't have to use humans and kill humans and enslave my people to do it. We could have been pushed forward into industrialization faster, did it better than anybody else, but yet we still subjugated generations of African Americans, indigenous people, just because they could. And I don't, and I'm not really just ranting, I'm just, how people just ignore laws and they choose, and that's why I think sovereign citizenship is such a bastardization and perversion of democracy. Because you can't have a real democracy and a sustainable democracy if you don't have some rights. And also with some limits though, because again, you uh, swing one pendulum to a liberalization and uh, uh, the sovereign, to sovereign citizen movement, which wasn't, doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. But this, is, this particular law is most affecting why we celebrate Juneteenth and how Texas basically ignored it for two years and how even after they lost the war, they still were in violation because the KKK came along and was still trying to repress us and all the Jim Crow and segregationist um, actions down south that we're still rolling against. I, I asked this when I was uh, reading in uh, my Tim Froes reading podcast. Can we truly ever be free? We were free. It is truly is. Freedom is a state of mind. I know I'm free 
But there are a lot of people that basically say just because I am who I am and the way I look and just simply because of the color of my skin, I'll never truly be free. But I can be free within myself. My Me getting the knowledge, processing it, and expanding my knowledge wealth and making me more proud of who I am every single day, that's how I'm going to continue to grind. Or that's why I'm going to continue to grind. Because I honestly believe this Juneteenth that freedom comes with an open state of mind, the willingness to learn, and the willingness to uplift my race. I don't have to kowtow. I don't have to completely assimilate. I can be a proud African-American woman and be free and live successfully and create wonderful things. Come, grind with me if you will. Let's dream and build a better reality and a better future. And again, as always, thank you for listening. This is um, Tinfro is reading, signing off, and I hope and wish you a blessed and happy Juneteenth. Have a great day. Five days ago on CBS News, uh, Gail King interviews the iconic, the civil rights icon in our own right, Medgar Evers Williams. It's been 60 years since he was gunned down in front of his house, and that's Medgar Evers for just simply being African-American, Secretary of the NAACP, demanding, boycotting whites-only businesses, and demanding that we all have the equal right and access to vote. With that, he paid with the ultimate price his life. And at 92 years old, all I could think of was, number one, I think she needs to be scoped because her voice was either strained, was just so strained from either talking or she has some polyps that we need to remove from her vocal cords. And I know it's like 92, who cares? But I care. She has a lot more to say and a lot more I want to hear. Either she needs vocal training because I want to hear what this lady has to say. I was just floored by, she was like, I'm like 92. Is this, if this is what living well, drinking plenty of water will do, and will you will look and be able to move like at 92. I need to pull up to the filter water spigot. I'm just saying. But she also related that vengeance is a biatch. Because that's what she operated on until the men or the man that was responsible for Medgar Evers' death died. Or not died, but until he was uh, convicted. That fool basically had been rolling around up until that point, about 50 years, um, 50 some odd years, and was bragging about what he did and he got away with and they weren't going to convict him. He basically was activated like the Kraken, like a Kraken. And it didn't matter that he committed capital murder. Because now when I think about it, isn't like when you premeditate and aggravated and he basically rolled and rolled up on him wondering why 
they could not elevate it to premeditated. You know what I mean? So premeditated, capital offense. I think he ended up getting what? Convicted and got life, which better late than never. But just the idea that someone would devalue another person's life so much just because they want they see because they we are humans and we are equal there is no hierarchy we are equal even in the sight of god or whoever you believe in and just from a citizen standpoint we all work pay taxes we have a right to own a house to live to breathe and to exist. And that's what he was standing for and the whoever and the people that shot him and then let him get off in the beginning. Those are the ones I get concerned about. What is it about me except for this color of my skin that makes me less than? Why is there such a stringent hierarchical standing among humans? That I don't get. And that's what he that's what Medgar Evers and everyone that participated in the movement uh, represented. And that's what I can't get over are the real racism bigots in this country. Just because certain things, that doesn't make you less than or above. It just makes us all human with differences. And that's it. Even in her advanced age, her answers were so solid and she was just so thoughtful. She would pause, think, and then come out with the most elegant uh, questions. I This what makes me want all of you to add to the two, already 2.1 million views of just her interview with Gail about a few days ago. I also was hopeful after listening to her because she recognizes the ongoing work and remains hopeful for our future, even in this converse, conservative fascist backlash. She feels a personal responsibility, like all women in the diaspora. The work does not stop. It must go on until all of us are equal, until all of us are free. No matter where we are, as far as the diaspora, diaspora is, either in motherland Africa, in, the, in this instance, the United States, the Caribbean, Europe, all across the world. The work has to go on. She's doing what all women in, as I said, in the diaspora have done for ages. They speak, they are thoughtful, and they actually have the answers. But we can only know the answers if we listen to them and we work together to progress for equality. It is my great pleasure to introduce the listening audience once again to probably one of the leading, foremost thought leaders on the continent today. And this is one, Kawala. She is the executive consultant and CEO of Strategies. I had her and her other two um, authors um, on my podcast a few weeks ago. Um, and we're back again discussing um, the effect of current litig 
current uh, movement and the increase in conservatism um, in the United States and how it ties back to our standing and our interaction with the other uh, countries of the world, um, and in particular, of course, Africa. Um, she is just one of those people that their spirit and graciousness just emanates um, through the screen. And I hope you enjoy um, this discussion as much as I enjoyed having it with her. Here she is again, Kawala of Strategies. Seeing you all, um, you know, banning, banning books, wanting to burn books, um, you know, that just tell history and, and being Africans who were colonized, who are really struggling right now to just be able to, to, to capture our history, to write it down, to, to be able, you know, we are in the phase of, of just beginning to write our history so that we can teach it to our children. Um, and to see people who we thought had gone beyond that, um, wanting to regress and, and, and wanting to erase history um, is really perplexing. I th think the best thing you can I can equate it to is, the, as I, I've mentioned this before, the rise of fascism. But in all honesty, when you look at the Fourth Right and a lot of even South Africa more recent, they all were, I call it racist, bigoted thinking on crack that they learned from the United States. But that's a mm -hmm. whole other different discussion. That's and I think a lot of the rise of conservatism, it, to me, seems to be a direct response to uh, President Obama's eight years in office um, and this, this agenda that wants to return it to a time where people thought they were the bomb, but they really weren't because all of these social ills were happening. And that brings mm -hmm. us to what we had discussed that we were going to kind of try to come to wrap, I was trying to wrap my mind around. Um, with the, um, the, it seems like in 2020, there was so many things, pandemics, lockdown, everybody seemed to lost their mind. There seemed to be uh, there was the release of the Kraken in the psyche of in here in America. We've had mm -hmm. the election and re-election of people like um, uh, Ron DeSantis, one of the governors of, uh, one of the most conservative governors, and I would, I call him fascist, if you're DeSantis, personally. But he, and there's several other, including um, Governor Kemp, who's Georgia, um, and then my own governor here in Tennessee, this agenda to basically not only to dumb down America, keeping the 1619 project out of being taught from schools, not talking mm -hmm. about race, um, and to the point of they're removing those public institutions that teach diversity training, um, they're defunding them if you teach diversity training. Um, mm -hmm. And they're being penalized for, for one, for pe teaching people about me, about my contributions, mm -hmm. so we can better prepare everyone to work together and also at the same time deny us a place. And when we 
does not only deserve a place at the table, but we can help you get through some of the crap that you're trying that you're going to create when all when it, all of this goes to plumb heck. That's why the renaissance of the previous eight to sixteen years, even with the Clinton administration, it it's all being erased because people want to basically take us all the way back before the Civil Rights Act was passed, and because they see mm-hmm. it for them, they see it, but the, what these policies are doing are it's going to take us at least a couple of decades to unravel. And that's how I see it. Why would you take away the people's ability to basically learn how to, what's the best way to be able to work with different people that could, these people have the perspective that could help you through your mess? Who does that? <laughs> exactly. 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 No, I think... Um, and and what is unfortunate as you as you are rightly mentioning is that you know the US is such a big country and plays such a huge role in global politics that people do learn from them i mean we see the the, the studies show um you know that the 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 years of trump you know trump's four years in government um you know uh, um, is 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 um, synonymous with a rise of autocracy all over the world because all of a sudden, um, you know, things which in in Africa we those of us who want justice and who want you know democracy in our countries and who are fighting for fundamental human rights, um, you know, the things that we were decrying and saying, no, a president cannot have his wife and his sister and his children in office. Well, here, all of a sudden, the American president was doing it. You know, um, when we are saying you have to respect fundamental human rights as a a head of state, well, the American president was saying there are two sides to a story when people were, um, you know, uh, basically um, manifesting racism. You know, so so so. Unfortunately, um, these the the U.S. does impact global culture a lot, um, and and in this moment um, has really impacted um, fascism, autocracy, dictatorship around the world, and that's why for me, Felicia, we need to build bridges. We need to build build bridges. Those of us who are fighting against this, we really need to recognize. It's so important for us as Black women um, to recognize that one of the tools of fascism is division. Is to right. is to make you feel well. You're, you're African. Your your experience is not the same as the African American, and you're from the Caribbean, and your experience is not the same. Um, you know. As, as, as the person who's African. And I think recognizing, knowing that th- these are just, you know, fascism can wear different color shirts. It can, yes. you know, it can change its makeup, um, but it's still fascism at the core. And that we need to build these bridges and come together and also understand the history of women before us who understood that and who worked together. I think is a is a key 
really key stake for us right now. And I don't think it's perpetuating the trauma when you recognize that what these passing of these policies could potentially mean, because I see the bigger picture and and it's an ongoing, it would be an ongoing fight to basically dismantle a lot of these things, but also realizing and basically also not only telling that story, but also saying we are better when we are together. And the building of the bridges has to commence because we cannot, it, we, the divisions are what is going to make it, uh, things collapse. We can't operate and we don't operate in a vacuum. We still have to make connections with all of us in the diaspora because we are more similar than we are different. And those things that are happening are more of distractions. That's why we actually absolutely have to have conversations with women like yourself and other women in strategies and have suggestions about how can we still build those bridges and what the, what does it look like? You know, what would we need to build that bridge? For instance, making the, making the, um, just making the introduction to someone either within your own, the continent, um, making a suggestion for having a bigger meeting and having uh, further discussions about the lot, the racist lies that are told that, that keep us divided. So we can start talking and cause that's when we find out how similar we are and the needs and how we can actually progress and get us all over the finish line. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and recognizing, you know, um, you, last time we spoke a little bit about this, recognizing that white supremacy has, you know, a multitude of manifestations and that um, the fact that we are experiencing those manifestations in different ways and that it impacts us in different ways because of our geography um, does not take away from the fact that it's the same thing. You know, um, uh, we talked about the, the, the NSARS movement and the Black Lives Matter movement and realizing that police brutality in Africa has its roots in colonization in the same way that police brutality in the United States has its its roots in slavery is so important for us as we fight against it. It is so important for us to have that understanding. It strengthens all of us. Um, in each area where we find ourselves. And it enables us to speak out because we now do live in a global world. And so, um, you know, in being in Cameroon, I can speak out um, about the fact that Amanda Gorman's book, whom whom I happen to know, uh, she was one of my mentees uh, when she was still in high school, um, that her book was, Band in Florida is 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 yes. incredible, and I have the voice to speak out about that. Being all the way in Cameroon, um, just as you know, uh, if I get arrested tomorrow for standing up for my fundamental rights, um, you know, women in the in in the U.S. can speak out, and that has an impact. So I think really, you know, um, going forward, what that looks like. Um, Felicia is a conversations like the one we are having. (laughs) 
it is it is B doing deeper work and really understanding the roots and the analysis of how this authoritarianism is is manifesting itself differently, but has very similar, if not the same root causes, and then using the technology, which is ours today, to be able to speak out about issues wherever they're happening. And that is a perfect way to basically uh, a call to action for everyone that's actually listening to this conversation. And, you know, I could go on and on, Ka, but as usual, I'm going to have to ask um, you to come back because I think a deeper conversation has to be had about even in spite, you shouldn't despair because there still is hope. We recognize these things are happening, but still don't despair because the more they, they came at her, there was one voice that tried to speak, you know, silence. Uh, Gorman, uh, the poet laureate of the United States. One little conservative voice got her banned in Florida, but there's so when we all start talking about it, we can make a change. And that's Absolutely. it. You can't despair. There's always hope for change. Absolutely. We're, we're fighting back and we're fighting back strong and we will be uh, even stronger together. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to go ahead and um, finish the recording. Okay. Let's see, start recording, stop. Life is all about connection. It was one connection that led me to my next guest, Noelle Ojo. She's just one of those people that just blows you away the more you speak with her. She's actually a um, New York University School of Law graduate um, with her JD. Um, she lives in the Washington, D.C. area, um, but she's a Foreign Service Officer through USAID. She has done several stints on the continent of Africa, and more importantly, her experience living in those five of the 56 different countries on that vast continent. She, able, she was able to create a collective experience so she can confidently and comfortably uh, advise other people like myself um, to move to the motherland to experience freedom, liberation, and cultural experience. And my discussion with her, and this is only part and partial of a vast discussion of Blackfoot and other um, issues surrounding reverse immigration, um, but I think you'll enjoy it and you'll be uh, just blessed by this discussion. And here it is with Noel Ojo. Asked and it was accepted. It wasn't like you thought of what they needed and you gave it to them. You actually asked them out of respect. I mean, I wouldn't just offer. Of course. It, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And they'll like, you, you know, need? I want to send them That's to school the or, or they'll say, hey, I need school fees. Sometimes they'll ask like, because you may not know what's going on in their personal lives. Right. Right. So sometimes they may ask or say, you know, I'd like to send them to school, but I don't have like, oh, if you would like to, maybe I can help. Okay. Yes. I'd like that. You know, yeah, I, you, you definitely can't impose it, but there's clearly sometimes it's a need or a way. Like, well, people get 
somebody sick in the hospital and something that might cost like $75 to get them out, but that's unattainable for somebody, mm-hmm. you know, but you can pay $75 and get them some treatment that they need or, or something like that. So you definitely see um, a lot of us give, you know, just like that whole phenomenon, like the poorest people give the most, mm-hmm. the people who have the least as a percentage give the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll see that, but I think, I think yeah. a lot of us go with the right intentions and like, you know, to your point, you were asking earlier, like we have to understand like their, their reality is different from our reality. What we're going there for, they may not necessarily understand. You can explain it. You can say, look, mm-hmm. you know, we were lost and disconnected and now I'm trying to reconnect. I don't necessarily, I mean, I've done my DNA and I know that I'm part of this, I'm trying to connect. And a lot of people will respect that, understand that. But the average, at the end of the day, the, a lot of people are going to see you as American, which I think offends people too. Like, well, you know, they're like, no, you're, you're not, you're not Ghanaian. You're not Senegalese. We can respect that you are a black person. You're of the continent. And, and hopefully you can express that too. Like I'm proudly of African origin. I'm proudly African, you know, but I also know, like, I can't point to a grandparent that's from this place necessarily, or, you know, cause our roots are, you know, hundreds of years in the United States. And the idea of like, we actually have created our own culture. Like that's a, that's a misnomer too. Like we don't have a culture. We don't, that is absolutely not true. As mm-hmm. black Americans, we have a unique culture that we have created and it's something to be proud of. Um, look at the, 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 the obstacles we've surmounted and, and look at the unique, our culture is what is exported. Black yes. American culture is what is exported all over the world. Positive and negatively, like from a standpoint, um, there's so many positive and so many wonderful, uh, and I think it outweighs the negative, but it's the negative that gets exported and gets, because it's whenever it's part of the news cycle. Um, But then who controls that? That's that's the question. What are they sharing about who we are? Because even we struggle with that in the state. Yeah, it's misconception on both sides like um the time for example the time that you were in kenya um we were still seeing those old images from the 70s of the children in the great famine in ethiopia and then you happen to do about the geography because they don't really teach continental which part is east or west africa you know what i mean like and also getting over that not everyone how can i say this there, you don't get the people like it's not as warm as you would possibly think. So then you have to get over your own rejection or inferiority complex that not everybody's going to accept me with open arms, but that doesn't mean I'm less than. I'd still have to know who I am because also I may have to get over that not every African American, some of us are strapped, some of us are not but I'm not a violent rapper. I, I have an Afro and I'm gray and I don't dye my hair, um, that right. kind of thing. So I know that I have to get, I have to work as hard, you know, to get over misconceptions, but I'm not going to know, or they're not going to know me unless they ask or try to get to know me. And, but I have to be respectful and reciprocate because I know that there's a learning curve. I have to get to know because all of the misconceptions that have gone back and forth, that have been by this kind of our racist news cycle, we have to basically, and not everything is about race, you know, too, you know, because right. it can't be, you know. At the but, end of the day, you're, yeah. to your point, you're a stranger. I am and a stranger. Like, I'm supposed exactly. to just, and you don't just embrace somebody because they walk through your front door. 
right? Yeah, so like, I, I'm just I have to get I am. to- Yeah, I'm just because I'm African-American or American, they're not gonna open, have open arms. They're gonna still have to get to know me just as much as I'm gonna have to get to know them. Exactly, and understanding that, like stop, like let, use the opportunity. And the thing is you're a guest in their country. So the effort, the onus is on you, really, right. as a visitor to get to know you show up at the events, you start talking to people and don't just talk to the other Americans in the room, the other brothers and sisters, really start to, to open up your world um, as much as you can. Um, and start with the brothers and sisters that also are friendly or, or have connections with Ghanaians and Nigerians and Senegalese, have them invite you to things where you're meeting local people. Because um, you can cocoon, I've seen that, where all the only people you know are other, that, that you're really cool with are other like black Americans or other Americans. Um, that happens a lot. Um, I definitely saw that a lot in like the foreign service world that you can completely cocoon and you have lived there for four years and you don't know anybody except your driver in your household. That's a problem. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens. So, you know, like making, but, but yeah, the onus is on you as the visitor to get to know, try to learn the language, go to the local church, go to the, the whatever, whatever they do, you try to need to you need to try to get involved. If there's a place that people go to the beach and hang out, go do that that Sunday and get to know people. And you know, you have to Other you have languages. to put, take a step out. While you were in Nigeria, um, and, and that's another misconception too. There are so many different tribes. Were you able, and how many languages that from the con that particular country or even Kenya were you able to pick up on? Um, because English is usually the official language of government. Is that correct? It depends on the country, but yes. So like in Nigeria, um, it's Anglophone, meaning they speak English primarily. So that would be the, the, the language that everyone would speak amongst themselves. But there's also Pidgin English, which is like a, it's another form of English. Mm -hmm. I don't speak it, I understand it. Right. So like, you know, and you're hearing it now on like a lot of the Afrobeat, how you day and the like, like, so I can understand a full Pidgin, uh, full conversation in Pidgin English. Um, a little bit of Igbo, I mean, sorry, um, Yoruba, because when I was working, my boss was Yoruba and the office was Yoruba. But we also had Igbos and other places there. My husband is Edo, which is a smaller tribe, kind of affiliated with the Yoruba. Um, when I was in Senegal, so Senegal and Cameroon is a, with, you know, it's a bilingual country, but I think most, I think their official stuff is in French. Mm -hmm. So it's, but where I was in like Yaoundé, it was heavily uh, Anglophone. And then the embassy, they ended up, they tended to hire a lot of Anglophones, right? Because they're English speaking. Um, right. But so you could get away. So I, I know French, I'm fluent in French um, because of the work I did in, in Cameroon and certainly in, in Senegal. Like you could not get away with, because I had to work with people from Senegal, right? Like that's my work. So um, I, I operated in French. Um, learned a little bit of Wolof while I was there because I took lessons to try to learn. And as I was learning, then I actually had to get evacuated because of COVID um, about, about six or seven months into my learning. So I did some stuff initially online, but it's harder to learn online when you're not in the culture. But, um, and so in Cameroon, English and French, and, and that's usually how they'll interact with the, you know, like the common, the language of common communication. Um, so there's some, you know, Francophone countries and there's some Anglophone countries. And then you have Lusophone countries where they speak Portuguese, like Angola and Mozambique. But um, yeah, so I think I know people that live in Senegal and don't know French. That's very, or, or Wolof. Um, somehow they manage. <laughs> I think, I don't know how, somehow they manage, but 
But rule number one is, especially if you're going to a country that doesn't uh, even speak English, you really need to try to learn the language because that's the, the first way to try to connect. And when you do um, learn the local language, so like even though I was operating in French, when I could do my little Nangadef, Nakawakaga, do say a little bit, it's like, oh, okay, she's trying. She's, it's you know, she's trying. You connect. Yeah, yeah, you connect in a different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And think exactly. about that. Like, so, you know, South Africa's English, Kenya's English, a lot of East Africa's English, your, your, your West, your Francophone countries are going to be on the West. So like your Cote d'Ivoire, you know, uh, Cote d'Ivoire is Francophone, Senegal, um, thinking of places people might, Mali, most people aren't moving to Mali though, but you know, because of the instability there. But there are places like that, that that's, um, you know, Burkina and, Faso, Benin. And also that, and again, that is a part of the work that you're going to, if you're going to go to any of the 54 countries on the continent, um, knowing that part of first, knowing yourself and then knowing the country uh main language making an attempt being open to learning and also being open to correction even though they see that you're trying you got to also be open that they're going to correct you if you're saying things wrong it's English word, like zebra and zebra you got to be open <laughs> to correction <laughs> because that's how if you really want to i i find using words like assimilation to mm -hmm. be kind of triggering because in this country, it is more, it's a lot of associated with obliteration of your past. So okay. I like using integrate. If I'm going to integrate and if you want to integrate and be culturally sensitive, that makes more sense. You know what I mean? You know, Correct. getting all the rules, being open to this is so different. Why are you going to leave one country and try to recreate the same nonsense here culturally that you had there? You don't have to forget your culture. Just identifying that you there are, you have your own culture, but why would I want to recreate everything on Forest Avenue if I'm in Senegal? That doesn't make any sense to me. Listen, so, and that is a major, oh God, I can't tell you how much, it's like, where's the best burger and I'm like okay why am I okay. going to get hamburger a, myself whatever what and it's an international and I get it like because I do all I do I do say that as well like because I had a, I had a like dialogue with somebody recently when I was in Ghana and it's like oh I don't want to come to Ghana to eat Italian food true but there's going to be Italian restaurants there's going to be Middle Eastern That's restaurants right. Mexican restaurants because it is an international city of five million people right so just like Americans don't only eat pizza, hamburger, hot dog, baked chicken, and broccoli every day. We eat all types of things, as do Ghanaians, as do Nigerians, as do, you know, other things. If I'm there for 10 days, fine. I'm going to overload on whatever the local food is. If I'm living there, I'm going to try to, I'm gonna, my palate is going to be, Americans really have a diverse palate. We do. Because, um, you know, you go to other places and they eat the same, you know, it's not unusual for people to pretty much eat the same thing over and over again. As Americans, we're constantly looking for something else. Like, what what you feel like today? We eating this, we eating this, and we and our and our palates have actually gotten broader in the more recent past. Now, you know, it's not unusual to have Thai or Indian, and those were really exotic 15 years ago, mm -hmm. right? But now you can find that in most, you know, they're creating little Chipotle like places for every types of food, right? And so it's just different. But I think the idea of like, yeah, you can have all types of experiences and these these are major you have to remember these are major cities and major um places that have millions and millions of people and you have people from all over the world that are there um all over the world 
right? Like if it's um, incredibly diverse in terms of what um, you'll find there. You know, so so like we have to get out of that stereotype too, is that it looks like one thing only. Exactly. And to for the uh, um, listening audience, if you are thinking about your Black sect to the continent, East or West Africa, um, what are some of the action items? Just to start, what are some of the few things that they really, kind of in a sequence, because that's how I think and I remember, what should they do, be doing now? And what, in, in all respects, they can't just go tomorrow. You can buy the ticket if you want to, but you now I don't even think you can buy the ticket in some of these countries because you got <laughs> you need you a visa, your visa exactly, or you can even buy the ticket. So exactly. there. So I think start there. So the first thing, shameless plug, buy the book because it'll take you through. <laughs> there will be links in the extended podcast notes and on my website where you can actually uh, buy it. So I'm just gonna right, let. So outside go. of that, so okay. the first thing, one of the things I do say is think about your why. Why are you going? And, and how long you want to go? Because that's another thing. You ain't got to be there for 10 years. You ain't no. got to be there for five years. You might just want to go for two. I do suggest that if you're going to move, you stay at least two years, honestly, um, to really start to really know a place because like the cycle of up and down is right. really extensive. And, and so I highly recommend at least two. If you can go the administrative work has to start. If you're going to stay anywhere for a minimum of two years, how long should you give yourself to get your administrative ducks in order? You Probably six months to a year because it depends on how long that process can take. And some stuff you won't be able to do until you get there. So once you get your visa and you get there, they might say, we need to see you have lived here for two months, that you've secured a job or whatever in order to get like a working permit mm-hmm. or a residency permit. Every country is going to have their own rules and regulations about, around what you need to do that. Um, a lot of times you, it's like, it's not necessarily common that you would get the residency permit before you showed up. So mm-hmm. most people will come on a visiting visa and then you have to like kind of change it or upgrade it or, you know, change it in some way. Um, I think you need to think about what are you going to do with your home back in the States? Are you going to rent it? Are you going to sell it? Where are you going to put your things? Um, don't sell everything because if you do come back, you don't necessarily want to start from scratch. You don't know what your financial situation right. is going to be when you come back. Um so I think you need to do that. You need to, I highly recommend that, especially if you're going to, like, if you're really serious about moving, you need to take a two to three week visit, get an Airbnb, maybe in a couple of possible locations so that you live in that neighborhood. You see what it's like at night. You see, you know, how far away from different things, you know, in different parts of the city that you're entertaining. What's the traffic like? Traffic can be horrific in some places. And so even if you're working in a place, like maybe you want to stay near the airport or maybe you want to stay on the outskirts or, you know, you need to think about where you are. And I think the best way to really do that is spend a week or two in, in the places that you, you know, and it's like, and if you can't afford to take the visit trip, not sure you can afford really to move because this is the investment that it's going to take in order to make sure you have a good experience. Mm -hmm. Um, When you go that first time, try to make connections with local people, maybe a local realtor, somebody, you know, um, and they can be, you know, Black Americans that advise you, because there's so many groups now that people have been vetted. So it's like, hey, you find those groups and say, hey, I'm thinking about coming out there. Who can help me find a place? What are some recommendations? And you work on the recommendations. I wouldn't do cold calling off the internet. Yeah. I would definitely try to tap into these groups that are already here. Like so with Africa, you know, in, in, um, in Ghana, you have the African American Association, um, African American Association of Ghana. So it's called AAAG. Um, they've been around for 30 years. 
huge network of African-Americans that are there. Um, and then, you know, you find, find ways to connect and get information, but you've got to do your research and uh, figure out how you're going to live there. If you want to start a business, what does it take to start a business? Can you own it solely or do you have to have a partner from that local place that might dictate where you want to go? If you want to build property, like that's the other thing. It's like, I want to buy land. I suggest you stay somewhere first for six months to a year, get a lay of what that means to own property and to, buy, and to build. It sounds nice. You don't build like you build here in the yeah. States. First of all, like they're not financing a lot of that. You have to have the cash, which is why you see so many kind of half built things and they, okay, I got enough to build a structure. Okay. Now I got enough to do this and I got enough to do that. It's a whole way. It's different. Um, so you get to know that. 18, almost two years for Demetri L. Lucas. She paid for the apartment last year. She still can't move in until 2024 in Ghana. Listen, I bought property in Senegal. It was, they had already broken ground. It was supposed to be <laughs> October, 2017 is when we per purchased it. It was supposed to be ready like December, 2018. Ask me, is it finished? No, and it's 2023. Right. So you got to get your mind around, especially with the building and stuff. And oh, I want to build, I want to build. That sounds really nice. But in reality, and then you have to be open to what people say, because that's the other thing. Everybody thinks they're the exception and then, mm -hmm. oh, they got the hookup. They know this one person and then it's not, okay, good luck with that. But if, you know, the, the last 10 people you talk to are all telling you the same, people who live there, who work there are telling you the same thing. It's not to say you don't do it, but manage your expectations around when it will be done. Don't, you know, make decisions based on, oh, they said it's going to be done October, 2024. And in 2026, you're still not there. And now you have no other contingencies for where you're going to reside or what's going to happen. So um, time moves slower. Things are very relationship-based in a lot of these places. So how things move sometimes is, is, is uh, dependent on what your relationship is to people. Um, it's not good or bad. It's just, it's just what it is, you know? And so, yeah just figuring out how to be, I think you should be open and listen. You know, I think some people who really struggle the most can just be hard-headed, mm -hmm. you know, like, why well, I, I got this. I'm going to just show up. I'm going I'm to figure it out. And then don't do that. No, they just get caught up into other things. I've known people who next thing you know, they're like marrying people and doing some kind of shady stuff just to stay or, you know, and it's like, you don't want to get caught up in that. Sis. Like you don't. You know, and then you'll be on 90 Day Fiance, and I'll be watching you. <laughs> exactly. You know, like you need to, you know, it's it's like, yeah. And then that's the whole point of like, am I being swindled or like, am I really in love? Am I being swindled or am I part of the, the manipulation too? Because I've seen that too, right? Where you think you're hustling and all that. And it's like, you don't want to, you don't want any problems with the government. Right. Theirs or yours. Exactly. You know, um... Nobody wants to take <laughs> any of the alphabet of the state and the government to come knocking. You just, nobody's government. So, but I think that's a great place for us to end and, and plan on the, the next, our next meeting, which I'm really excited about. The whole business aspect or taking a deeper dive into that and mm -hmm. true considerations about where you want to move. I think I'm going to basically do a better plan than just buy the ticket and then pray for the best. You know, that, that never is going to work. So I'm, what I'm going, I'm thinking is know why you're going to leave mm -hmm. or why, what is uh, uh, forcing you or what is motive, your motivation to go somewhere right. else. 
um, where do you want to go administrative and having enough lead time? Because if you want to go to Ghana at in 2023 to live for two years, it's already June. It's probably too late because the administrative process is going to take about six months to a year. So your plan, your plan, my plan of going anywhere, 20, it's not 2024, 2025. So that, and then what else, once I get there, what residency am I going to continue to work and the financing part of it? Exactly. Financing is key. Financing the is key. You want to be the more money it's going to take. It is not cheap. So it's not cheap. Yeah, it's not cheap. And you can, and that's an expectation too. A real yeah, slight research. I, you really, you'd be amazed how many people just don't do research. I'm like, you could just go online and say apartments in, you know, certain areas of Ghana and how right. much five, six, and seven, eight hundred thousand, twelve hundred. I mean, they got million dollar homes, uh, condos. Exactly. And so, and then planning a two week, a pre stay, because you may get there and say, you know, this is probably not for me. And then you go to Senegal and you're like, oh, or to Cape Town. And you're like, oh, this is cool. Exactly. And then you need to stay for a little while, right? Because stay, you might get to Cape stay. Town and be like, where right. all the Black people at? Exactly. And people, that's exactly. what you're and on the like, continent and you're like, because this is, right. You know what I mean? Like, you, you really need to spend some time in these places before you make that level of a move. You really do. Also, then it's like for a creative. And if you're a gig worker and you need uh the reliability of electricity, you have to also factor that in to the type of work that you're going to be able to do and to be able to be uh, flexible and to work around it or bring a generator. So exactly. And we'll pay for that, which is which is a grip. So yeah, you need to and I got generate next conversation generator stories about yeah. Okay. Riding around oh. with, you know, with liters of fuel in the trunk. Oh man. every yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's so funny you say liters of fuel i'm like oh yeah oh right yeah no gallons liters yeah exactly <laughs> that's a consideration there's a metric world outside of the english system so yes yeah, so and having exactly. to adjust and make allowances for that so this is it has been really great so um noelle where would you like the listening audience to find you if you would like to be found on social media. Of course, sure. So um, you can find me at my personal um, like Instagram at, so it's at FAMU, Nojo, N-O-J-O. <laughs> um, it's also at The Blacksit Effect um, at, on, on Instagram as well, but at FAMU Nojo. And then um, I have a website for where you can purchase the book. Um, and there's a coupon code on, on there. So um, it's www. Mm -hmm. theblacksiteffect.com and blacksit is b-l-a-x-i-t and then effect e-f-f-e-c-t.com the theblacksiteffect.com and that's how you can get access to the book it's both a physical copy and i have a digital copy that you can get immediately which i got and i'm digging it so okay uh, good. and <laughs> i think like and it. it also depends on what your schedule is like what i'll do after we break um, mm -hmm. I'll send you um, another, or you could use your previous calendar link mm -hmm. and just um, book another. I would be very much interested in taking a deeper dive and also telling that I'm really excited about hearing your generator story because I think. Okay. <laughs> oh, I guess. Yeah, we girl, I think it's dope. So um, with that said, I'm going to pause recording. And again, before I stop, thank you again. 
for joining me, and I'm going to pause recording. It's been an honor. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Really, the goal of all vaccines is to educate our immune system on what to do if you see the real germ, if the immune system sees the real germ. It's a fire drill for your immune system. Vaccines matter more than ever, and knowing the facts is just as important. In Vax Matters, we get answers straight from the experts. Whether you want to know if vaccines really can affect fertility or if they can give you the disease they prevent, start listening today. Are you a veteran or service member struggling with post-traumatic stress, anxiety, or depression? Hi, I'm John Wayne Troxel, former senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, retired. I want you to know that Emory Healthcare Veterans Program offers help and hope. Emory's free and confidential treatment is available for all eligible service members and post-9-11 veterans living anywhere in the United States. Visit emoryhealthcare.org vets. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading tin for I can go anywhere. Friends to know, ways to grow, a reading tin So here I go digging deeper into Octavia Butler's Lilith's Brood. I never think of myself as a talented author when if you were to compare me to the storytelling styling of the great Octavia Butler and Lilith's Brood in this part of the book and I'm progressing on I thought this was like yeah it's supposed to be three different novels but they all flow into one another as if they were written all together I am in adult rights and this is where we find the humans have been trained and now that they have been placed and they've made a settlement on earth but it seems like several decades have passed because they did like Lilith had originally wanted were allowed to return to earth and they quote unquote escaped but escaped to what some of them ran um got into other like groups and then 
they created towns that look like what was before the catastrophic nuclear war. I don't, there's nothing ever to describe um, the fallout of nuclear war when you think about it, because basically all it is or will be is destruction. It's the basically to wipe out um, the earth. Only thing that will survive maybe some roaches <laughs> and that's basically it. So when the war started, um, it appears that maybe three fourths, most of humanity and much of the earth went to fallow and the few survivors were taken up and helped and healed by the Owen Cali. All they asked was to exchange genetic material. Um, and they also knew the Owen Cali knew that, um, on a much a molecular level, we were flawed and that also had to be worked out. So they, devised a plan to exchange genetic material and took over control of our reproduction. And then for a while, we were only allowed to reproduce with their assistance. And because of, and if you think of humans, Nobody was going to go for that. That was always going to be a problem, except for a few like Lilith Ayabo, who because of her and some other women and men that did it willingly, they became pariahs and she became like a, a traitor um, to the human resistors. Uh, story, whole stories and stuff were made up about her because of her allegiance um, to them, and they were, and it was more jealousy because even though she was allowed to have human construct kids, that's what they call the children that were made up of the genetic materials of humans, and then of the um, humans, and then. Uh, Oh, and Callie, she was thought of and villainized as a traitor, which I think is so stupid. And they really realized, too, though, and Callie on a molecular level realized that what made us so intriguing to them because of the diversity of our genetic material and our great potential that we never lived up to was also going to be to our detriment because even though we are diverse, we only live, humans only live up to only a small part of their potential. And we have a propensity to destroy what we don't understand. All very sad and all such a waste. And we also don't like change that much either. We would prefer. To keep things exactly the same, even again, even though they are to our detriment. 
we would recreate the world um, that we destroyed or go along a path that would lead to our destruction, even though that destruction would lead to our ultimate the, our ultimate destruction because of familiarity. Probably something that the Owen Cowley could never really understand. But they try over and over again. And it's so wild. The powerful beings would let us get but so far. And then they would reel us back in. And I think that's what the whole thing about these resistor colonies were. They were just a part of the experiment, but the Owen Cali would only allow them to get so far. And that's what Aiken, the construct child of Lilith, Joseph, and Nakanj, the Owen Cali or Oloe, he was constructed human enough, looked human enough, so he was that very valuable to the resistors. But he also was their hope that he would allow them to somehow figure out how to reproduce, or better yet, how to force the Owen Cali to make, allow them to reproduce. And of course, Tate knew that wasn't never going to happen. He was not their answer. It would only lead them to frustration. But again, can't tell most humans anything once they get stuck, things stuck in their head. Just kind of like one of the um, resistors, Nessie, wanted to cut off the tentacles of the two other children that they kidnapped to make them look more human, like that was going to change anything. But the, what? The thing that made them less human was going to grow back and had nothing to do with their humanity. It was just enough to make her comfortable and to somehow assuage her. And even though she was told that that was not going to happen and it was wrong, she continued to try to get other people to her side. Even though she had no information to support that decision and who and it was also made sense to me that it didn't make sense that inference or our humans want or need to make everyone look the same or more human has and such a um, emphasis on looks or appearance had nothing to do with what humanity really meant or was. It had nothing to do with beauty. So because you couldn't get that, maybe you needed to change your definition of beauty or what it means to be human. Because humanity on a, this was, I guess, uh, Octavia Butler's point. Humanity is more than just on appearance. It's definitely deeper on a molecular level. 
and living up to your full potential goes deeper than what your appearance and your actions or your reactions and changes. That's the adaptability of humans is really what makes you human and not and to adapt is not a true loss to your humanity. It's just a loss of what you know as humanity. In order for humanity to evolve, you got to change your thought process and your reactions. And a lot of things that were made sense in the past, they don't make sense now. And why take those negative things into a very bright future? It's obvious those things meant nothing and were worth nothing in the past. Why is it so hard for people to adapt and to make the necessary change for uncertain, unknown, but isn't that the fun? And I think that's the whole point. And the other point is there are always going to be a group of resistors or people just like the resistors that even in spite of evidence to the contrary are going to resist. They are going to make it extremely, extremely difficult for us to move on just because they don't understand or they refuse to understand and they want things to stay the same when it's obvious to the contrary they can't stay the same because it's going to be wide swings to the contrary if they would just go with the flow make the necessary changes and adapt this is how we make progress and we don't have you can't go backwards to make progress forward and as soon as we realize that we'll stop wasting time and we all will get to a higher plane, a higher understanding. And also, it's also how we're all possibly going to survive the next iteration of us just by our willingness to progress. To me, that's exciting. To some others, it may be so frightening they're willing to do what they want or say what they want to keep things just the same. But in order for us to progress and for humanity to progress, we have to adapt. We have to change. And that's the bottom line. Some of us have time. Some of us don't. And it looks like the character's. Or, and this author understood that. If you're the people that are so willing to destroy what they don't understand, they don't understand, are very dangerous. But it is up to the rest of us to continue to want to adapt, to learn to adapt. And if we're going to really truly progress, and what does that mean? What does wealth mean? When it has no meaning, it has to do with having great amount of knowledge and information. And what do you do with the information? The better, what if, what is the me processing the information and creating the content? If only 
to better humanity and to uplift and to progress. And that's what this book is actually doing. One of the truths of the book, and I find the rights of adulthood is one of the many points that I believe that Octavia Butler is trying to make in this book. So stay tuned to the next me break down the next iteration next week and I'll progress further along those lines. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. Unreality TV as it at its most ratchet. I have watched and been binge watching Love and Marriage Huntsville. I won't watch Love and Marriage DC because my favorite um, star Chris and Monique Samuels are not on any on longer. They only last like one season. And those other people are just too Potomac, bougie adjacent for me to get into. And they also have that high, annoying, affected, um, bougie accent nasally that I can't stand in pretentious people. So won't be watching DC. Sorry, Carlos. But now love and marriage Huntsville is being drawn by love and marriage Detroit. The first episode is called what up though? (laughs) A statement that I think if you followed, um, what's that uh, show? The BMF on Prime. I watched it on Prime, but I think it was through Stars. That that is a known statement from D Town. I know that is going to be as much ratchet as always. And then I started watching the Bell Collective about rich ratchet women, black women in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was thinking about how you can be a multimillionaire have weave in vending machines and there's no water in Jackson. What the fuck? I just, it, it, it cracks me up. But even though it's ratchet, I find it so relatable. And I'm still watching last week's episode of Real Housewives of Atlanta and Candace looking like Viola Davis with that big fake afro. But anyways, hysterical. But I'll get to... Real Housewives of Atlanta later but what I was saying was I'm like a relationship warrior I find that I do have maybe I'm a bit of an empath I can pick up things on people and I the reason why I avoid uh being in other people's houses and in groups is because I can pick up on emotional turmoil and since I'm trying to deal with my own shit I don't really like being around other people's shit so but it's easy for me to watch this stuff on tv because when I get tired I just turn it off and it ends there so this satisfied my need to look for realistic relationships limiting Because one, I don't know these people. I'm only connected to them when I watch. And I'm not invested in any of this because I don't own any of this. It's just fascinating to me.
because I can watch it and it doesn't affect me directly. But getting to that, um, I'm always fascinated by the interaction of men with the women because uh, couples in my circle is mixture of ups and downs and there's a whole bunch of shit that I'm glad I don't have to deal with that they deal with in order to be with someone and I just don't really feel like it. But I watch it on TV and then cut it off when I get tired of the BS. So the Love and Hip Hop Huntsville re-return where Mel and Martel Holt have been divorced for over three years because of cheating allegations, which were founded when he had an outside baby. Um, their lives were so entangled or enmeshed. Uh, he was the head of the household with his marshmallow head, um, player, player in Huntsville. They bought, put Huntsville back on the map. They developed a comeback group with their gr- close circle of friends. And then when he cheated and they divorced, everybody basically takes sides as people do in divorce situations. Mel does not want to be a part of this group anymore because this is not who she is anymore. Her identity was so much entwined with Martel's and her kids. And now she's no longer with this brother. She's actually moved on. He's still trying to control her, showing up at the birthday parties and doing some other stuff and, and, and squealing and screaming like a bitch when he don't get his way. She's even trying to go back to her maiden name. I just, wow. And then Sheree and Martel, are they just screwing? I don't know if she would be willing to give up everything and go to Huntsville versus leaving the Chateau um, and leaving Atlanta. She would, would she be a fish out of water or would she be a big fish in a very small pool or will they ice her out? Like I know people, black folks in a small Southern town can. Sheree ain't crazy. She gonna keep her non-existent clothing line and stay in her uh, awesome house if she if it hasn't been foreclosed on in Atlanta. This is just for a time fun. And she's not going to be willing to kowtow to Martel after surviving Bob Whitfield and that fool, that ex-con fool. But in Mel, in her divorce, in her, she really did open up about her marriage and she felt that in her current situation, she didn't know until she had gotten out of that situation that she really wasn't protected. And she said she was really sleeping for the enemy because Martel, the selfish being that he was, was all about him and control and his needs. And it was never really about her and the kids. And Marceau and Tisha, another couple within the get back group or the comeback group. <laughs> he's still just a chauvinistic. He is a commercial, uh, He's a contractor, and they're trying to build um, this whole shopping experience called Uptown with upscale barbershops and the like, um, and he is only, as long as his wife, Tisha, does what he says and unquestioning, he is fine, but he's still a very condescending, chauvinistic pig, so I don't know, y'all. 
And then Martell, he is just, just radiates being a fuck boy. <laughs> I just, with his old tight ass pimp suits and going national and his wine, which I bet tastes like ass. He just thinks his limited celebrity is going, is he's bigger than he actually is in reality. So I don't know. He, and she wants, and it's like Mel also recognized her limited um, celebrity, but she's not willing. I don't think she's necessarily delusional. I just don't think she wants to be reminded that she is a limited celebrity. That's why she wants to get out of the combat group. And then there's Stormy and Mark, who fired her own cousin because she is a real example of how mixing family and friends with your bag can be detrimental to your sanity and to the bag. And I looked at why Mel doesn't trust Tisha, and it's because they have a long antagonistic relationship where, she, where Tisha has this spirit of envy. She's like this person that always player hates. And it looks like Tisha has been long since have had jealousy uh, in envy against Mel um, because she had the, it seems like she, Mel had the strength to divorce Martel and never look back. And Tisha, when she was in the marriage with O'Cheatin' Butt Marcel, and then when she got out of the marriage, she still is very envious. I wouldn't trust her either. She's the perfect definition of a frenemy. Person that would basically rise up on your shine, but at the same time, or use it to try to get ahead, but then in the corner of their mouth be talking smack and be making fun of you if you do fail. Winners are only a failure at failing <laughs> because when you finally if you keep on going and you finally win that is the perfect definite definition of a, a shiro i find myself finding only interesting when i'm trying to figure out the on uh, which on-screen relations are actually true because if it's too contrived or it seems like they're just beating up uh, a storyline i don't have time for that and I'm just like, I could basically be uh, paying attention to my own non, my own um, life and relationships. Because if it's not more distracting than that, then I know it's really not true. And I just watched a sneak peek of episode seven and it looks like it's the Drew Sidora show. And I could tell y'all, I'm so not here for that. They, she's actually says she released some song got 30,000 streams and now she's getting ready to make a video and now she has to decide if her husband Ralph is sexy enough to be in the video and I'm like girl really why don't we hear about your divorce and not about and, and instead of Ralph's abs, we want to know about his actions that led up to the divorce. That's real shit. I know it's difficult, but at least it's real and it will be more interesting than your fake ass career. That's just me bitching about 
the boredom and the uninterestedness of this, the upcoming episodes of um, the unreality of uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta. I'm just saying, y'all, y'all need to get it together because I'm not, I'm starting to get tired of watching. Welcome to the A. The A is back. Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, that is. I had the pleasure, I don't know, I was going, I've rewatched many episodes of anything out of Atlanta as far as unreality TV. And it's been a minute since I have watched or rewatched Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. And I just recalled, like, during this newest episode of like uh, season 11 just premiered this week and it's absolutely tripping me out that these people, they, I just, I didn't, it just cracked me up how completely ratchet they are. Um, I had been reading in uh, on social media just how that I recall that Bam, Bambi and Little Scrappy actually, some one of them, I think she filed for divorce, but in season 10, they were always on the rocks. He would leave and go stay with his mama uh, or check into a hotel. It's just that he did never have the tools for uh, what you would we would consider a successful relationship or how to do it. I mean, come on, his mom was a pimp. So with that said, I am I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to watch if another episode has dropped, but out of the woods back in these streets um, Bam looks good, but I mean, what does he expect for real, for real? Because <laughs> she actually was one of the models that was with um, Stevie J and No Neck. Oh, that looks like uh, Not Your Mama from Alf. Brandino or Branzino, or is that a meal? I don't know. But anyways, Benzino. <laughs> Benzino was, they had that party up there when Kirk cheated on Rashida. Um, but she, their relationship was a little bit sketch. And also, he got all these kids by her. And I think little Scrappy's daughter from Erica um, went off on her, clapped back at her on social media. It's like Scrap's immaturity, continued inability to manage his money resulted in them getting evicted from their home. They went half, um, evidently on a rent, and I thought he would, he bought that home from her, uh, for her. No, wasn't bought, was rented. And then he stopped paying his half of the rent and wonders why she wants to break up with him. Also, they address uh, 
Spice's uh, medical emergency, um, which is real. She went in for cosmetic surgery and ended up having complications and she was actually in a coma for a minute, but she survived it. So the things people will go to to make it in the uh, dance hall or music industry is crazy because she almost lost her life. And because of her ability or want to stay snatched, she may actually not be able to perform the same with the same intensity as what we have learned for her to perform at. It also appears that Frost Bistro, um, they're the extension of the family business for Kurt and Rashida is also taking a hit. I, they, I don't think they were able to recover from the pandemic just like Candy's business was. Maybe they need the same business manager or what could they do or have done differently um, to manage and get through uh, the pandemic a little bit more efficient. So, but with all of those things said, I don't think, well, I don't think they had the free cash flow as Candy and um, Todd did. But everybody seems to be back. Even Erica Mena, they got some new old faces like Yandy and Amy and Erica Banks and whoever this Jessica girl is. And it also, it looks like None of the men can still keep their um, zipper zip, including little Scrappy, because he went back to Diamond. I wonder if that's Amy's, um, one of her sisters. But anyways, fascinating, ratchet. It seems to be more spicy and not as dark and as boring as Real Housewives of Atlanta, but what can you expect from a show that's called Real Housewives? I don't know. Just saying. And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters i may take it on the road if i get hint hint sponsorship navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review it gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag and as always tell a friend and thank you for listening Fitness, there's no end to what you can try with your three-day free pass. Sign up today at startellyfitness.com. From cycling to swimming, running to rowing, battle ropes to box jumps, and the perks don't stop there. When you join LA Fitness, it opens the door to premium amenities like Olympic lifting platforms, basketball courts, pools, and more. Stop into one of our hundreds of locations. Grab your free three-day pass at startellyfitness.com. That's startellyfitness.com. Amenities vary by location. Certain amenities may be available for an additional fee. Free three-day pass is redeemable by non-members only. Other restrictions apply. 
more is more at Pandora Jewelry, where you'll find beautiful hand-finished pieces perfect for creating stacks of self-expression. Collect charms, stack bracelets, and layer necklaces to design a look that's uniquely you. Start with the piece you love, then stack and style it your way and show the world something about you. Shop Pandora Jewelry now. Shop Pandora Jewelry at St. John Town Center, Jacksonville. 